This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay are joined by Aaron Perino and Chip Midnight to revisit the albums of 1995. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again for episode 209, season 5, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Mm. Mm. Uncharted Waters. Uncharted Waters we are heading into. That was almost Yoda-like. I feel like a, in my... feel like a pirate. Yes, exactly. Easy there, Johnny Depp. Don't know what's going to happen. Well, what's going to happen, Jay, is we're not going to review an album on this episode. I know, Thank scary God. thought. <laughs> We've done it for 208 episodes in a row. We decided to finally shake it up. Yeah. And uh, we're going to do a our first Cue the Jingle roundtable discussion. Uh, I don't know what the jingle is going to sound like. I haven't recorded it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be cool. Joining us for our first of hopefully many successful endeavors known as the Roundtable Discussion, are two gentlemen who have both been guests on our show. I'm going to go alphabetically. First, from the great state of Massachusetts, home of Bob Craft and Craft Beers, Mr. Aaron Perino of the band The Shield of Divine. You probably remember us from our discussion of the album New Parade. Aaron, how are you this evening? So good great to have you back it's really great to be back and of course we're interrupting um something important do you want to spill the beans on that or should we just leave that alone um i don't know what am i doing (laughs) i i'm watching i just saw the cowboys win that was so awesome (laughs) okay we won't discuss what's going on that's all right Uh, my band's making a record yay so when we put this out the world's gonna know Shield Divine is making a new record, so we broke it here. We're the TMZ of album (laughs) recording news. That's right. Of 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 uh, minor regionally (laughs) successful artists (laughs) recording who are big in Belgium. That's right. We own that shit. Yeah, we own it. Also joining us from the. Highly entertaining and successful website. Kids interview bands. Mr. Chip Midnight. <laughs> Chip. Greetings. Thank you once again. You were just here not too long ago. We we celebrated uh, our 200th episode with you. and Guns and Roses. Listen to some Guns and Roses. That yeah. that album is still lodged in my brain. I think it's still playing from, nice. <laughs> uh, from then. So I think we need to just jump into this because it's going to be a long episode. I'm just going to say that up front. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. What we are doing is we're going to take a look back. For everybody out there who wants to know what the hell we're going to be doing. We're going to take a look back at 1995. 20 years since this pivotal year in the history of 90s music. Now you're probably asking yourself, why is this a pivotal year, Tim? I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. If you break the 90s down, it's basically three acts. Sort of like a... like a. Did I just get buzzed? What was that? <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong answer. <laughs> This is how I see the 90s. It's a three-act play. In Act 1, you have the rise of the alternative and grunge movement, which is 90 to 94. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden are the, are the primary bands that are leading the charge of that. Although, obviously, there are, this, is, this is sort of the mainstreaming short, short version of this. So 90 to 94, you have Act 1. Obviously, with Cobain's death um, in 94... There's a, it's a huge loss, both in terms of a sort of a a leader of the entire movement, although he didn't necessarily want to be, I guess you'd say. Um, 95 to 96 are the key, I guess you'd say, alternative explosion years where there are no more rules. It's not necessarily about being the next Nirvana, the next Pearl Jam, the next Alice in Chains. It's anything goes. It's President of the United States of America. It's soul coughing. It's... A billion other bands that pop up. God Lives Underwater. You know, a, t- a ton of bands. that DC Talk. DC Talk. Jars of Clay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the floodgates were open. Squirrel Nut Zippers. Anything c- can happen 
between 95 and 96. And that's what did. Here's the important thing to remember about 95 and 96. They're the only two years in the 90s in which a soundtrack or a pop artist did not lead the album chart sales. Hmm. 95 was Hootie and the Blowfish, Cracked Rear View. And 96 was Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. There were three soundtracks that were the number one selling uh, albums in the 90s. The Bodyguard soundtrack, the Titanic soundtrack, and um, the Lion King soundtrack. And then you have following Alanis Morissette, 97 is the Spice Girls. So that's pretty much the end. 97 is when the alternative movement begins to die. You have the rise of the manufactured pop bands with... Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, In Sync. You have the new metal bands with Korn and Limp Bizkit. And then you have the death of the guitar with Electronica and the Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy. And we all know how the guitar died back then and has never been seen since. That's my three-act play in terms of the 90s. So this is why the 95, like 96 it. is so key to the understanding of the 90s because the doors were wide open for a billion bands to get signed to record labels, jumping off of minors, getting signed out of nowhere, 16-year-olds getting signed out of, out of Australia and becoming the next Nirvana. Um, it was chaos, total chaos, and it actually <laughs> created a lot of really cool records that we're going to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our favorite records from 95 that are still albums that we enjoy, and then we're going to talk about the ones that have let us down. The ones that came out in 95, we were all about them, and then 20 years later we kind of go, no, I'm not feeling it anymore. Doesn't have this. Doesn't hold the same weight that it used to. So, I'm, I got my four sided dice. I don't even know if that's a real thing. I'm gonna shake my four sided dice. I'm gonna throw it to Chip. Chip, you are up first. Please tell me one album from 1995 that you still enjoy to this day and why. The one band that we keep talking about doing a podcast on and we don't. Big Dish. That's what love songs often do. I knew that was gonna come up. I knew it. Tell us why Fig, <laughs> why Fig Dish is your pick. Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's an album that, that uh, has never left my CD player. I don't know. I, I, so if we, if we put into perspective what 1995 was for me, I was writing for a, a regional alternative music magazine. Perfect timing for that. And I interviewed uh, Fig Dish at the time. And I think I wrote something about them being like the um, being influenced by the Mount Rockmore of writers like Bob Mould, Dave Perner, Paul Westerberg, and some Evan Dando, maybe. I don't know. It was just, it was just like a, just a good Midwest rock sound. I totally forgot about this band. That's so crazy. <laughs> I didn't because Chip brings them up. Even yeah. when we reviewed Guns N' Roses, I think he figured out how to work in Fig Dish. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I think Back Off Bitch got mentioned as a clearly influenced Fig Dish. No, I'm just yes. kidding. Um, I well, do have a Guns N' Roses Fig Dish connection, but I'll save that for another day. Excellent. In between, when you guys are talking about what you've picked, I'm going to throw in one of our Facebook feedbacks. So I want to mention that Jason, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Cappinghist. I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. He said a couple albums. Hum, You'd Prefer an Astronaut, which we reviewed uh, a couple seasons ago. Radiohead's The Benz. Mm-hmm. Pavement's Wowie Zowie. And his favorite to this day, Flaming Lips, Clouds Taste Metallic. That's Jason's picks. Aaron, can you please grace us Damn, with your picks? Those were, those were some of mine. But, uh, I mean, it's... But I don't listen to the bands a lot now. But, that, but I listened to it today because I was going through albums. And I was like, man, this is so good. I forgot. Um, yeah, I was going to say Pavement, Wowie Zowie. I, it's probably an album I still listen to quite a bit. So, I don't know why. I think I just like that he says, break out the Brazilian dots for your engagement. <laughs> Check the expiration date, man. It's later than you think. Um, so, that's going to be, I don't know, that's one of my picks. Also, the Pulp, Different Class. I love mm-hmm. that album. So, I mean, I feel like 95 was like Britpop, you know, that was like the golden era. You know, Oasis, Pulp, Blur, uh PJ Harvey, so many good ones. So. There's a, there's a good chance we're going to spend an entire month dedicated just to talking about Britpop coming up soon. Oh, cool! It, it might even be next month. Jam. Yeah, Dimitri Dumitri said, "Truly, 
Fast Stories from Kid Coma is one of the albums that he would pick. Uh, I'm not familiar with Truly. I think yeah. they were a Seattle band. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, wasn't I think uh, Hero from Soundgarden, from the bass player from Soundgarden early on. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he was in Truly. Okay. Jay, tell us one of your yes. picks. Oh, man, there's so many. Um, I'm going to go with something that we reviewed recently, the band we reviewed recently, but a different record, Buffalo Tom Sleepy Eyed. Um, just, I don't know. It's just classic. I mean, and I think that's some of the records that I like from this year. The ones that really hold up are just absolutely classic in terms of you don't really know they came out in 95. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just listen to it, it just it sounds like it could have come out you know, this year. Uh, I think that record very much falls into that. Um, and I love the sort of sh- switch to, in production they did for that record. And it's l- the, the sort of the grit that it brings back to the band. And um, yeah, really good. It's some others that weren't mentioned yet that I would say that um, on revisiting just hold up really well, make me want to listen to more. The Jayhawks, Tomorrow the Green Grass, Super Chunk, Here's Where the Strings Come In, that hum, that hum song off of mm-hmm. um, Stars. for an Astronaut. Yeah. I'm just that's I have a vivid memory of hearing that the first time because at this point I was sort of in um, I think I was in community college at the time so I wasn't exposed to like any uh, outside of the radio at this period I didn't have a lot of exposure uh, to other ways to get music so I just remember hearing this on the radio for the first time and just being just like stopped what I was doing (laughs) and like almost pulled off to the side of the road. In, in amazement of what in the hell was this that was being played and how could guitar sound like that? Yeah. Um, I think for a brief moment, I actually thought it was Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> and then just because of the massiveness of the guitar sound and mm-hmm. then quickly realized that it was a different band and um, really got into the record after that. But I just have a very clear, vivid moment of hearing that song for the first time. Yeah, that, that was a huge band and album and song for me as well. So I, but I didn't pick it because uh, we we reviewed it and kind of wanted to go with something we hadn't reviewed yet. I want to mention Eric J. Peterson uh, often chimes in. He said uh, he had four albums: uh, Ball Hog or Tugboat by Mike Watt, which is a really interesting uh, record. It has a bunch of guest artists on it. Um, that, Dopes to Infinity. Al- Sorry, go that ahead. Album is, that album is so weird. Yeah, <laughs> like, I went back and just kind of scanned through it just to get myself familiar with it, and it's so bizarre. It is. Uh, Dopes to Infinity by Monster Magnet, which we reviewed. Dirt, tra- Dirt Track Date by Southern Culture on the Skids. And Hit and Run Holiday by My Life with Thrill Kill Cult. Those wow. are Eric J. Peterson's picks for 1995. That leaves me uh, with my first pick. And I'm going to go with an album that, I, I, unfortunately, it was more obscure than it deserved to be. And that's Saltpeter by Ruby. If you guys aren't familiar, Ruby was basically Leslie Rankin, who was in a band called Silverfish, and a producer named Mark Walk, I think it was. And this came out in late 95. And it's a, it's sort of a, a weird combination of the, per, the precursor to trip hop and not trip hop, but the electronica stuff that was going to happen, but mixed with like a very dark trip hop and industrial sound, mm. but with amazing hooks. Her vocals are just great on it. The only thing I compare it to is it's sort of, and this isn't meant to be like sexist or derogatory, but sort of the female downward spiral in my mind. Um, It's got, in the same way that Trent Reznor is able to write really, really good hooks with a lot of chaos going on and a lot of interesting loops and keyboard stuff combined with live instruments, that's what Saltpeter sounds like to me. Uh, It has a lot of songs that incorporate very kind of, I guess, straightforward drum loops at the time, but combined with like a Hammond organ or an electric guitar or a a horn loop or pianos combined with her really, really, really good hooks. It's just, it's a really fun, cool record. And I, I wish that this had caught on rather than like the horrible prodigy smack my bitch up type stuff, which was (laughs) completely just without any merit mm-hmm. and her stuff was so much more interesting and her vocals and her and her lyrics were really both dark and funny at the same time and um there's a song uh called hoops which i i've 
interpreted as being about sort of working your crappy day job and there's there's this line in the chorus it goes the um she says something about the ass lick and the grovel and i always just it's just this weird combination of weird words that i've not heard in a hooky chorus the way that she sings it so <laughs> it's a fun record and there's an actual there's uh, an entire remix record of that album which is just as good that they put out like a year later after that so ruby saltpeter that's my pick let's circle back around top of the order where did I start? With Chip, I think? Yes, with Chip. Yes. Chip, give me another pick for an album from 1995 that you still think is worthy. Quicksand's Manic Compression. Mm, yeah. Ooh, damn. No arguments here. Yeah, a great follow-up to Slip. I think, so I'll throw on my uh, 95 journalist hat. I, I think you saw a lot of bands who kind of made that intro in the early 90s, like you were talking about earlier, Tim. Mm-hmm. That like that second record was like maybe and and I don't know but like the the major label budget or something but um, super chunks the flaming lips quicksand all these bands like had you know like their earlier I don't know indie roots and then came out with like these really big great sounding records in '95 in my opinion I don't know there there are a ton of uh, I guess you'd say second albums or or major label albums yeah. that did come out in 95 you're right i'd have to um have to break on my master list of albums to revisit that but like you, you so you saw like um it was going to be a, another one of my picks was jawbreakers dear you you know they had been like this pop punk band on gilman street and and so i i knew uh 24 hour revenge therapy right is that mm-hmm. the album they put out and i thought it was okay and then i heard dear you and it was at that point, I was not really familiar with like uh, shoegazing music, and in my mind, I pictured Jawbreakers, Dear You, as what I thought shoegazing rock sounded like. I would later discover all the other shoegazing bands and realize that it didn't really sound like that. But hmm. they made they made such a jump from like this pop punk sound to this. I don't know. It's, uh, they lost the punk part of it, and I, I know Dear You is when they jumped to Geffen Records and the whole you know, sellout controversy that surrounded them and it ended up being, mm-hmm. I think, like, the last their last album, so. Yeah, that, that, as I recall, that sort of move sort of hurt them with their fan base. And, and it's interesting because it's not, when we did 24-Hour Revenge Therapy, uh, I think it's the song Boxcar where he even addresses sort of, like, having to deal with the rules of that scene yep. and trying to break well, out of it. That was the era where you couldn't sell out. Now you can do a toaster strudels commercial. It's totally cool. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to hear a jawbreaker jawbreaker based toaster uh, strudel commercial. I wonder how that would go. <laughs> I don't know, but it would be fine. <laughs> uh, AP Aaron. Yeah. Um, I'll pick. I have a couple that like I didn't listen to in the '90s, but now I've like discovered them and I listen to them. So uh, the Swans, the Great Annihilator, I like that one a lot, and then also Elliot Smith's first record. I didn't really mm. listen to him till like XO came out, but then going back to that, that, that album's amazing. Needle in the Hay, all that. I was just, I was going to ask about the Swans, but yeah, go ahead. Who 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 is that? I never heard of them. The Swans, they're sort yeah. of got they're like gothy, um, very low voice, uh, New York band, super art art rocky but uh the great annihilator is like sort of their most like most accessible album so Mm -hmm. um i'd put it in the the same category as like the joy divisions and uh stuff like that nick cave like that so jay how about uh a second pick from you uh i'm gonna go a little more mainstream commercial and this is an album when i revisited it for this show i was surprised uh, that it held up, and it's the Goo Goo Dolls, a boy named Goo. Um, outside, uh, because of name, it's like everybody thinks of the ballad, but a lot of the other stuff is just good hard rock, like fairly fun. It's production-wise, it's pretty straightforward, so it still sounds good. Even the Robbie Goo songs are okay. The Robbie Goo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're... They're my hometown band, so I can't, I can never hate on it. Long way down, that song's so good. 
Yeah, I like that song. Flat Top's a good song. And it's, for me, the last record uh, of theirs that I would listen to. Um, I like Superstar Car Wash a lot, and some of their earlier stuff is fun. Hold Me Up's pretty good. But obviously, after a name became a hit, this band became something different. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what they... There's there's a lot of records after that. I'm looking on Spotify. I'm not sure, but... uh, yeah, the, pla- I still, the uh, plastic surgery changed it all. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. It changes voice. His no, his, the nose job changes voice. Could have. I think it's more than a nose job at this point. Yeah. So. I have to say that I was uh, I was back home in Buffalo for the summer when the follow up album "Dizzy Up the Girl" mm-hmm. was released, and the Buffalo radio stations played Black Balloon and Dizzy. And those songs, to de- like, I can't listen to that record. It's, <laughs> like, burned into my brain oh, yeah. that it almost, not completely, but almost taints the stuff going backwards. Like I I, I, I really go for... Baby's Black Balloon. Oh, God. <laughs> that chiming a guitar part that's in that song. And, yeah, I can't, I can't deal with that. It's almost like a, I almost have, like, a, um, like a Pavlov... A Pavlovian yeah. response to it, where I start to shiver when I hear that guitar part at the beginning of the song. I don't know if it's on the radio. I probably turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't help it. No. no, but I'm totally with you, Jay. On the on every name, yes, ballad. Actually, it's not a ballad because it kicks into that double time part um, for the bridge. But everything else on that record is spot on. And they the were, name is a great pop song. Like that, it is. Like, I don't know. I, In a very weird, radio, weird tuning, I'm also. Anyway. Yeah, I forgot to mention that we did have some uh, Scott Witt. He said a uh, couple records that, and and Scott is good for giving us a uh, some picks that are a bit harder. Uh, he picked uh, Dawkins' self-titled record, <laughs> which was uh, no, no. He picked a uh, dysfunctional, right? Well, they're the same record. So oh. Dawkins, it was released in the U.S. And remixed as dysfunctional, but in the Japanese version is oh, yeah. the self-titled version, and it it has a slightly different track listing, I guess, and has it a has a more mi- of a different mix too. Different mix, okay. He also picked uh, yes, Saigon. I know this. You, you know that, of course, you do, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> and surprisingly, I don't. Anything else you want to know about Dokken from 1994? <laughs> <laughs> ACDC's Ball Breaker. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, I have a little list here of uh, early, uh, late 80s, early 90s hard rock bands that did records in 95. It seemed to be like they laid dormant for two years and then a lot of them reappeared and sometimes with a different sound. Well, Skid Row put out the Subhuman Race album that year, right? Skid Row. Bon and that's Jovi's a good record. Keep the Faith. Bon Jovi's Keep the Faith like charted. Firehouse put out a record and had a hit song from it in 1995. Was that the cover of Wild World? No, <laughs> that's Mr. Big, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. They had a song <laughs> called I Live My Life For You. And it reached, it's like 91 on Billboard's Top 100 for the hmm. year. Extreme did Waiting for the Punchline. There was that Dokken record. Van Halen did Balance, which is my <laughs> least favorite Van Halen record. <laughs> that is it's, the worst. It's, yeah. it's, you like that less than three? Oh, yeah. We really? Do, yeah, we need to do an episode on three. That what was on, what songs were on? What was on Balance? Is that the Pound Cake one? No, no, yeah, that's for unlawful that's, carnal knowledge. Right. Balance uh, is um, don't, don't tell, tell me what, what life. Do. Yeah, and uh, there was like a ballad. It was not like enough the first... was the ballad. All right, yeah. it wasn't good. No. <laughs> no, the first half of that record is good. Well, what's funny is all those other bands I listed, they tried to like change up their sound in some way or tried to be raw. And Van Halen pretty much said after they had you know the hit with right here or right now they just said screw it we're just going to be as commercial as we possibly can (laughs) (laughs) so that that's what that to me what that record is and well i think uh, don't tell me what love can do is a little bit of a grungy song he's singing about heroin and stuff and well yeah i'm just saying like musically it's very polished and like yeah not not edgy in any way uh also scott witt mentioned the album or uh, the band at the gates and their album slaughter of the soul which i'm not familiar with and Down's album Nola, which are his other picks, as well as Saigon mm-hmm. Kick, Devil in the Details, from 95. I and didn't Scott realize Witt. Down was that old. I didn't know either. 
Nor did I. So my second pick for 95 is... Uh, this is not the one that people would probably expect me to go with. They already know I love Sunvolt and Wilco. That's established. Mm. AM. Great album. And it's, this was a great year. And I actually got to see three bands in a row at the same venue in Detroit. The Majestic Theater. I got to see Sunvolt uh, touring for Trace. I got to see Wilco touring for AM. And then I got to see Golden Smog touring for down by the old mainstream now if you're not familiar golden smog was at this time they've had a lot of lineup changes it was gary loris from the jayhawks on guitar and vocals dan murphy from soul asylum on guitar jeff tweedy from wilco on vocals and guitar uh craig johnson from run westy run on bass and noah noah levy from the honey dogs on drums they were this was the third of the three concerts that i saw and they were just like drunk Playing covers, doing Shooting Star by Bad Company and playing the songs off this record, pounding Rolling Rocks all night, being sloppy, fun. It was like watching your favorite bar band do the most amazing set they've ever done in their life. And then they just came down, like immediately when the set was done, they just came off off the stage and had beers in the, with the audience at the bar. Except for Jeff Tweedy who went to the bus. Everybody else... So it was cool because you're like, hey, Gary Loris, can I talk to you about your Gibson SG and the Bigsby tremolo that you have on there? Because that's not really normal on a SG. And hey, Dan Murphy, can I talk to you about blah, 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 about Grave Dentures Union or whatever album uh, had just come out? It was the mo- one of the most fun shows I've ever been to. And mm. um, that record to me, it just sounds timeless. It's a really well-written album. And I don't think that that band gets credit. I think they get credit for having a lot of talent. And the second record is good, but this record really has the combination of Jeff Tweedy's sort of early Uncle Tupelo, early Wilco, sort of naive, sort of simple songwriting that would quickly dissipate with um, being there. And then the other records where he got more complex. Um, It's Dan Murphy and Gary Loris just doing a ton of cool guitar work on the record. Gary Loris doing great harmonies. Um, with whoever else is singing on the songs. And there's a diverse sound of the record, too. There's stuff that sounds like each one of their bands, obviously. There's some Wilco-sounding stuff and some Jayhawk-sounding stuff. And then there's some stuff that sounds wholly unique to the band. A couple times where they get a little little bit replacements on a song. Um, but then they're doing like stuff that sounds like The Faces and stuff that sounds like Willie Nelson. I mean, there's some really cool, interesting songs on that record and probably you know the hardcore wilco and sunvolt fans know the record and jayhawks fans but i don't think it really got any publicity at the time partially because they couldn't use their real names because they were all in contracts with other record labels and this was a hard thing for them to put together so they all had to use pseudonyms for the for the record when they put hmm. it out so it's their middle name with the street they grew up on so their that's poor my name yeah their poor name essentially okay so that's my pick for uh, my second one, and I, there were a lot of records. Chavez Gone Glimmering, um, Catherine Wheel's Happy Days, The Frames, yeah. Fitzcarraldo. It's Matt really Seasons hard. Above. There's a lot of good records from this. Rocket record. from the Crypt. Oh yeah. yeah. When and then I pulled, there's the when, when the I pulled big that ones. one out, I was blown away how good that still sounds. It just it sounds huge. I mean, I some bet. of these records sound a little Ditch thin. Digger. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, you got like you like Aaron mentioned the the big. Britpop albums, What's the Story, Morning Glory from Oasis, and Different Class from Pulp, and Blur It's hard to put them in there, because they're just like, they're, those are like classic albums. Like, right, they're gigantic even, records. So Nobody mentioned uh, Alien Lanes by Guide of Our Voices. I was uh, surprised I had that about that. Yeah. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't say it, but yeah, that's like some, I love that record. So. I'm curious, I, I just want to throw this out there for everybody to, if they have an opinion on it, feel free to chime in. The Foo Fighters' first record. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like that's the second best record after The Color and the Shape, and they've never really made a record since then that stands up to those two records. But the first one really has a unique sound to it, and I'm really curious what you guys think. Aaron, you were going to chime in? Uh, I mean, I listened to that record a lot in 95. So I haven't, like, since 1996, probably. Yeah. <laughs> the episode of Sonic Highways where he goes back to Seattle and he plays some of the... I guess demos or stuff that didn't make the record. It just mm-hmm. sounds so amazing. Like it's so yeah. raw and yeah. you just forgot like 
that he could be like that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just used to their overproduced five guitar plus keys. <laughs> like they're about to, I think they're going to add a choir on the next record. Like just, they become this huge band with, you know, 12 people in it. And just to hear the original idea, what was really raw and, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I agree. I think that record definitely sounds different and is probably my second favorite of theirs. And then uh, a couple of the records I wanted to mention, um, Matthew Sweet's 100% Fun. I think all of his 90s records are hits for me. Um, yeah. I was sort of done with him by then. Not done, but like, I, I mean, the first two I loved. And then, I don't know, I kind of moved on after that. I don't know why. I can only talk- get into the like the singles from that record. I don't know. The rest of the record just seems not as inspired or something. That's how I guess I've always felt about him. Oh, his singles collection is just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, great songwriter. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's throw it. Let's throw the flip side. Let's talk about some records that we really loved back in 1995, but have fallen off the radar for us. And whatever reasons you have, feel free to share them. I'm going to reverse the order here. I'm going to start this one, and we're going to back it around the other way. Uh, I'm going to start with Everclear and their album Sparkle and Fade. This was was a record that I discovered before it came out because we were working at the radio station back then. And the Santa Monica song was like the least of my concerns. Uh, There were a ton of other cool songs in this record. Heart Spark, Dollar Sign. Heroin uh, Girl. Heroin Girl, You Make Me Feel Like a Whore. Just a lot of cool guitar rock that had an edge to it, and I liked his vocals, and they didn't have that dan 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 riff that they would mine for the next four albums in a row. So I had heard the album before this, and they had a Fire Maple song was the single off that, and I remembered it, but it didn't really, as an album, connect with me. And then I heard this record, and I was like, wow, this is a really cool record not knowing that it was going to blow up and I would despise this band by the time father of mine got played for like the five millionth time. <laughs> in... Oh, I forgot about that uh, song. And now when I hear them, it, when it comes on like serious lithium or if, it, if I'm listening to the local radio station, CD one Oh two point five, I have to immediately turn the channel. Like yeah. it, it, it drives me bonkers. Um, they were, they were so overplayed. Yes. I, I remember I, I played in Mississippi and this guy came up to me at the show and he's like, dude, you remind me of my favorite band Everclear. And I was so <laughs> depressed. <laughs> Did you consider immediately quitting? <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> You're like, this isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I felt. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to throw in some, before I throw it to Jay, I'm going to throw uh, Justin Blessis says um well he it, let me start andrew weaver said uh, australian bands to check out umi umi's mm. hi-fi way is the best australian album of the year and then um he said also spider bait which was an album that not this particular album but a different album spider bait that jay and i both really liked um the unfinished spanish galleon of finley finley lake and then he mentioned crow's Lilowing, which we reviewed crow and jay you'd like to rec- a song off that record at the end yeah. of last year, and then Blue Bottle Kisses Double Yellow Tard EP. Justin Blessis responded that uh, Crow was much better than UMI, and um, Andrew Weaver said, "Okay, no, no, no need to fight." <laughs> essentially, so that was some Australian feedback from uh, our listeners. Jay, what's an album that has yes. failed to live up to your uh, likes? Mm. appreciation this is um well there's just a ton of stuff that i found myself listening to i think in this year that for one reason or another mostly because it's not very good music i just can't take anymore so one that comes to mind is for some reason i really thought that for that atlantis morissette record was good at the time and listened to and heard obviously heard that on the radio a ton Mm -hmm. and now (laughs) we listen to anything from that i just I, I can't I can't even wrap my head around like how not not how did I like that, but how did that even work? Like lyrically, it's so I, I think we were going through in pop music. There seemed to be like a complete lack of metaphor. <laughs> so like you had that, uh, you know, her, her lyrics, which were just direct, straight to the point of like awkward and uncomfortable. 
Mm-hmm. And then you had like uh, the, that Dish Walla song was the same way. Like when you listen to their <laughs> lyrics, it was just like rambling observations that you saw, you know, and Joan Osborne. And like there was all this stuff on the radio. It was just like, what if God was? Yeah. <laughs> like not a metaphor for anything. Just like not the least bit creative. So that that's one where, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking, spending any time with that. Aaron, serve one up for us. Uh, I mean, there's there's an album I used to think was, like, genius, and now I, I put it on and I'm like, I just cringe. And it's uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Oh. Um, I know it's probably... I know you, you love those guys, but, like, it's I don't know why. I just... <laughs> I, I try to listen to it like not into it so I, I expected when I revisited that to to like it and appreciate the genius and I think I was in the same boat as you are it was I just uh, it's did not <laughs> it just I mean the whole thing just seems preposterous I don't know there was nothing about it that connected well in retrospect now realizing what just um, what a massive ego that Billy Corgan has it makes sense it it, I don't think it sullies the reputation the way that some horrible bloated records might with oh, other no. bands, but it, it had it, their biggest hits, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. Well, on the biggest song, I don't know. Today Probably might be well. still. I mean, it had it had massive number of like seven singles off that record, and it was essentially yeah. the user illusion of the alternative movement. Yeah, I mean, it, I write that. Um, but I think buried within it is a great ten song record. It's just I, that he I was don't. incapable of putting out a 10-song record yeah. at that point. But it's it's bookended by probably their two best records, which is Siamese Dream and Adore, which are completely different records. But they seem like honest records, like honest songwriting and honest sort of what he's at. at that, instead of trying to do this thing with Melancholy, that's this giant opus, he was doing he was what ambitious. He, yeah, and sometimes ambition fails. Right. And that's that's okay, but yeah, that's that's a record that I don't think stands up. And I stood in line at a midnight sale to get that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it I don't own it hold. anymore. It just doesn't hold up. No, Aaron. Wait, wait you, just, gave a, you gave us Smashing Pumpkins. I'll so I'll say Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'm going to Chip. I'm trying to remember the reverse order. I'm going. I'm yeah. So Chip, take us to your pick for something that does not stand up. So this might not surprise you guys, but I'm such a nostalgic guy that when I was looking at the list of what come, came out in 95, I probably still own, I don't know, 200 CDs that came out that year. And I can't, I mean, sure, the Pumpkins and Everclear got overplayed, but I still listen to them. I can't really think of any album at that time period that I bought and loved that I don't like now. But I also was a huge and still am a huge hair metal fan. And I totally ignored hair metal like uh jay was talking about earlier so much stuff came out there was a label called cmc that Mm -hmm. signed all these bands that got dropped by the majors i ignored that that whole period like i something something shut off for me i actually remember what happened i saw uh brett michaels do a solo show Mm -hmm. uh basically because his girlfriend at the time who was in the fallen angel video put out a record and he was trying to help promote her so he (laughs) went out he did a solo tour where she opened for him. And I saw them at the Newport play in front of about four or 500 people. And a week later, I saw Nirvana uh, on their Nevermind tour at Stashes. And that's, that's where it flipped for me that, like, the hair and the, the leather pants weren't cool anymore. Yeah. And so I totally, I, I, I totally disconnected from hair metal in the mid-'90s. Yeah. So, like I said, there's, no, there, there's nothing that I look back on now that... Um, that I think didn't hold up, but there's a lot of stuff that I missed because of that. Yeah. But but I was looking at the list. I mean, I think not only do I still own 200 CDs from 1995, I, I think about all the days of selling CDs back and, uh, you know, I mean, Presidents of the United States, Ben Folds 5, Chris Isaac, the Rembrandts, Jewel, Lisa Lowe, Poe. Like, I bought all those CDs, and I probably bought them all for the single, so I, I got rid of them shortly thereafter. Yeah. I, I did that too. I, I don't know. I went through a period where I was buying songs for the singles and then 
realizing that the records were awful. Because there, there was no internet, you couldn't download yeah. music. Right, right. Right. I used to listen to that Poe album a lot. I, I, I definitely sold that, but that's been interesting. I like that record too, and I saw her get covered in mud at Buzzard Fest in Cleveland playing the side <laughs> stage. It had rained the day before, and a bunch of like, was frat there. boy guys started throwing chunks of mud. Yeah. Did the violent did the violent femmes play that? Uh, I don't recall. I I was like three eleven, no doubt. Candlebox, uh, Holy Barbarians played the Ian Asbury one off, you know, album. Where so, where was uh, it? Um, it was at uh the. Is it a racetrack? No, it was like that amphitheater. Okay. Um, Not and, a river. No, it was uh, out by Richfield Coliseum, I think. Oh, was Blossom. oh Blossom. Blossom. Is it Blossom? Yeah. 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 Tragically Hip played. Uh, the Nixons. Um, the Refreshments. <laughs> Who else was there? But yeah, uh, Poe got pelted with mud and dirt and stuff like that. And then the Refreshments were up next. And they only made it two songs in before all their instruments were covered in mud and they had to stop playing. It was like embarrassing to be there. And then we like, I, I really basically went to see the Tragically Hip because big hip fan, and they played. We watched them. I sat through, no doubt. I sat through three eleven, and then Candlebox were playing. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I gotta leave because <laughs> Candlebox was on the Lucy tour, and yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that album was <laughs> speaking. So I should have had a third charity category of albums that you were looking forward to in 95 that completely shit the bed and <laughs> Candlebox not the greatest band in the world but I really did enjoy that first record it had good singles on it that second record holy god is that an awful record I yeah. mean it is just terrible terrible record it was um, on my not my not so much list yeah can I throw one out that um I think we should probably review and I should give more give it more time What's that? Um, but when I revisited it, I was kind of surprised that I didn't love it as much as I remember loving it. And that would be Caius's and the circus comes to town or leaves town. And I remember I loved that when it came out. And like, there's so many bands that were influenced by them that I love. But when I went back and listened to it just briefly, it didn't it didn't work as well. Like, I don't know, maybe because so many people have done that and maybe taking it even further than they did. It's hard to appreciate, but... Well, Jay, um, apparently you haven't checked the calendar because we're doing Caius next week. Oh, there we go. Good. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Yeah. We're doing Blues we for the Red Sun. It was uh, requested oh, okay. over the weekend, so we're going to be doing that album. Different records. This was the yeah. last record they did before they broke up, so... Right. It, uh, it will probably be different, but anyway, I was just... I was expecting to really just be blown away and love that record again, and it, it didn't quite work. I want to throw an album out for everybody to weigh in on. This is not an artist who was necessarily tied to the 90s, but this particular album is, and it's Mirrorball by Neil Young. Mm -hmm. Now, if you remember, this is Neil Young with basically Pearl Jam as his backing band. Yeah. Um, and they had a song. It was a minor hit. I think Downtown was the single. Oof. Which is I basically three chords. I actually made a Most Hated Songs of 1995, and I have two on the list. One is Neil Young's <laughs> Downtown. <laughs> and the other is Red Out Chili Peppers' Aeroplane. <laughs> I hated that song. I hated uh, it. That red, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, that's a, that's a bad record. Whew. Yeah, that is a bad record. One hot minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I don't know filter. how... Filter. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? The Filter record, I'm not going to say it's it horrible great. all the way through. It has a couple good songs on it. I mean... I, I feel like I haven't heard those, like... And forever, but I bet you if that if Nice Shot came on the radio, I'd probably would like it. So <laughs> I wanted to bring up the Neil Young album because he's a, he's an artist who I have he has diminishing returns, I think. But there's always something interesting going on. Um, he might put out three albums a year, but one of them is actually good, um, sort of like Robert Pollard. And I feel I mean, like the gets, '90s he were it's a pass at this time, at this point, you know, right. I feel like that record was an interesting experiment to kind of combine those two, you know, artists. Um, and some of the record works, but I don't know if anybody, I, I was really let down because I was, I really liked um, some of the earlier stuff from the nineties. And then that record 
it just didn't live up to what I was hoping for. I think because it was, it seemed really simple. Like it was basically found four chords and that was the entire song. Well, was, you, you could tell they probably wrote that in, in a weekend. Mm-hmm. And, and, at the, and uh, do you remember that record he did? It was around one of the elections and he did it really fast. And it, I remember getting a little glimpse into like his process or how he makes records. And it's not very, I mean, he can do a record like, well, I mean, this last stuff. one he did in the Jack White, like, in the little booth thing. Yeah. 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 It doesn't, he can, like, whip out songs really quick and, and just record them really fast. And to me, like, that, the record you're talking about, uh, Mirrorball, sounds like that. They just didn't put any time into writing most of it. Well, I just read the second Neil Young book. It's called Super Deluxe, and it basically talks about chronologically all the cars he owned and then... <laughs> all the records that were made that have t- connections to those cars. It's actually kind of a weird and interesting book. And basically that is his process. Like he would get together with crazy horse or whoever, and they would be at his barn in his ranch in California and they get a ton of pot and they would like smoke it up and then go jam for like 18 hours straight. And then, <laughs> yeah. you, and then all of a sudden they have Zuma and you're like, Oh my God, that's an amazing record. And mm-hmm. then when, then he's st- like, sort of went off on crazy tangents and started making like electronic records and you know yeah. all these I, you know i love him as an artist just because i feel like he, he tries it all and some, sure, of it, yeah. some of it's terrible and some of it's great and you know there's yeah. so um, much that it, he has that you can sort of the stuff that is terrible you just ignore it because he's got so much else that's, that's great um, but that process you described obviously works for the guys in crazy horse not so much for the guys in pearl jam <laughs> like you know what hmm. i mean like Every group of people needs a different, unique way to uh, be creative together and collaborate. And I, I don't know that this, they're uh, maybe not, I don't know. I'll stop there. <laughs> I was going to say maybe they're not as talented as the guys in Crazy Horse, but uh, there's definitely something different there. Does yeah, it, seem it, you... it was no insane clown posse, the Riddlebach. <laughs> <laughs> Does it seem to you guys like, th- there were a number of bands, let me backtrack this, there were a number of bands in 95 that released albums that had multiple singles. I'm thinking of like Collective Soul. Collective Soul oh, released yeah. their second album, which had Gel, December. I'm blanking on the other singles, but they had like four or five singles off that record. And then immediately with the next record, they were done. Like mm-hmm. nobody cared anymore. That band, I'm thinking of, like Jay, you mentioned Dishwalla. They had a couple singles off of that record. Um, Green, Green Day. Green Day's Insomniac. Had a ton of- Signals live was ninety four, but they were still oh, live signals through ninety five. And, and it seemed it seemed like there was a much shorter shelf life, even in ninety five and ninety six, than there were just a few years earlier. Do you guys have any opinions on why that is? Which is just the cycle of the labels, or I mean the albums, or but it seemed like they just disappeared quickly. I mean, I think I mean it was the alternative heyday, so feel like it was just they were basically the pop artists of that time so a lot of them were just there there then and then gone you know the next day for the next band it seemed like things really did after 95 escalate into the throw it at the wall and if it doesn't stick move on sort of mentality like obviously like with some of these bands that you mentioned tim like the labels really work those records and I mean, this is when I was starting to, like, play music and, like, for real. And, I mean, this is, like, all my friends had record deals. Like, there was always, you know, A&R people out at the shows, like, throwing around, you know, demo deals, this, that. So I just, this was, like, this was the great era to be in a band. Like, you yeah. could actually, you know, anyone could get signed. Um, I mean, it wasn't that, like, like, now it's, like, it's a joke. I mean, you if you get signed, you're already selling probably a hundred thousand records. So looking at the billboard 100 singles of the year, I was surprised how much, uh, hip hop and RB was on it. Yeah. I mean, though, if you look at 95 though, for hip hop, like, I mean, I wasn't like huge into it, but you have like, you know, old, old, dirty bastard and, uh, classic Tupac album. I mean, it's, it was a good year for hip hop too. Yeah. Coolio. Crazy. Coolio. Coolio. <laughs> TLC had two, uh, the number two and number three song. Waterfalls? Yeah. Yep. That's Don't go chasing them. I think we got to wrap this up with the 
probably the most important record of the year, which is White Zombie's Astro Creep 2000. Oh. Uh, thoughts on this record, gentlemen? Because this is probably what helps Usher, along with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and a few other bands, the new metal sound. Yeah. Cookie uh, Monster Rock. Cookie yeah. Monster Rock. Um, you know if you had a time machine, would you go back and destroy that record? I would. And you know what's crazy is I didn't like it, but I at least at the time thought, well, this is different. Like, maybe this will take music and, all, you know, hard music into a whole new, like, cool place. It's, or at least this band. I was like, this band, like, I'll be curious to see where this band goes. They went nowhere. Like, when you listen to that record, like, that dude has explored no space. Like, that is what he does to this day. I mean, I it's feel like just, that song, It just he just goes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much the song. So. That's his career. <laughs> it's him, him, and he's, like, bigger than ever. Like, and everybody talks about, like, how great he is live and everything. And Really? Yeah. If, if we could undo that, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. If we could undo that, I think we'd, we'd all, I don't know, maybe Chip. Are you, are you with us? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm actually, well, what I'm doing, I'm actually reading the review I wrote for that record right now. I'm trying to see <laughs> Can you read it? Please share. It's a long review, so I'll read you the uh, first paragraph. For pure entertainment value, White Zombie's latest psychotic spin through the post-industrial shredding metal neighborhood can't be beat. Don't expect to find lions and tigers and bears in this neighborhood. However, the ferocious creatures of the jungle are far too tame for Rob Zombie and his scumbag crew. <laughs> what's Love with all it. the jungle stuff? Yeah, I don't on? know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I liked it at the time, but yeah. yeah. What was the one before that? La Sex Artista? Sex Artista, something like that? Uh, the, uh, the album before that was Thunder... Well, no, it was Thunder Kiss 65 was the single. Um, La Sex Artista? Yeah, La Sex Artista or something like so, that. I found that one in my collection today, autographed by Rob Zombie, but I do know <laughs> I don't own Astro Creep 2000, so I guess that is a telling tale of that record in my nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, what a turd! <laughs> <laughs> it is. Jay. That's is what it? your that's what your review should have been, Jeb. What a turd! What a turd! Yeah, but more human than human was a great song at the time. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, slide guitar and like this industrial kind of rhythm and heavy and this weird vocal approach and like, oh, that's the formula this guy's going to use for 20 years. Like, So let me throw out two weird records from that year were bands that were big in the 80s that were trying to stay relevant in the 90s. That actually, one of them I think had maybe one of their biggest hits and the other one, I don't know that I ever listened to it, was, uh, so you have Adam Ant. Mm-hmm. Who had a huge oh, single that year? Yeah, that's right. And then Duran Duran put out that "Thank You" record, which is all covers. Yeah. That's a record I don't think I ever owned. I don't think I've ever heard that record, other than yeah, I, don't, I didn't hear it either. Does it have the cover of White Lines? Yes, I remember that single being played, but I don't know what the rest of the record sounds like or what else they cover. Yeah, I was just looking at it and and I was looking up the track listing, and I definitely never owned that. But uh, but Adam Ant had like a total resurgence with a. Like a not adamant sounding song. Yeah, right. that was so weird. I remember Before he went that. crazy and got yeah. institutionalized. Did he? Yeah, he pulled a gun on somebody and I don't know. Oh, shit. I mean, and he's I, out now. I'm actually going to throw out one more that I can't believe I haven't mentioned. And uh, Jay and Tim know this probably, but um, Blind Melon is one of my favorite bands ever. Really? And they, oh, yeah. And, and they put out um, Soup that year, which was going back to that like going from a first record to a second record that was kind of different and changing you know the first record had really kind of a hippie vibe mm-hmm. the second record was way more alt nation sounding at the time i thought and then shannon who died you know in october of that year right they only got to like one single off that record right or yeah it was like mouthful of teeth mouthful of cavities but no mouthful that, of cavities the, yeah no the single was um um galaxy yeah oh first. yeah that's right and they did the other. They had another single. Um, holy crap! Why can't I remember the name of it? Uh, it's one. It's a video where he. Um, damn it! I'm forgetting it. I got the record here. Let me see. No, it's hard to tell. Galaxy is the most listened to song. Now hold on, hold on. I'll tell you in a second. Thanks to the internet. Well, while we're is waiting, it? I just want to mention that if people want to check out, oh. we've done a bunch of reviews from '95 that include uh, uh, "Lotions Nobody's Cool," 
We did that review. We did uh, obviously we did uh, the interview with Clay Tarver about Chavez. We covered Gone Glimmering. Um, we did the uh, Four Squirrels album uh, yeah. example. We did. Let's see what else was there. Sunny Day Real Estate. We did the first one. We did not do the second one. We did uh, Wanderlust Prize. We did Wanderlust Prize. We did Whiskey Town uh, Faithless Street. Whiskey Town Faithless Street. Uh, I already mentioned Dopes to Infinity by Monster Magnet. We did Our Lady Pieces Navid. We did. Wait, 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 wait. The Rentals. Return Hold of the on, Rentals. Did, <laughs> didn't Aaron? You guys opened for Our Lady Peace, right? We yeah, did. we covered that in his in his interview. Okay. Right. He had he told us stories. Yes. Um, I didn't tell you my highest John Garcia story, but <laughs> whoa! <laughs> Don't hold back. I, I uh, this band I play with in Belgium. They they also uh, John Garcia uh, sings with them as well. So mm-hmm. I did some shows. Um, he's like a born again Christian now. It's a little weird. So yeah. Didn't they just get sued for the Caius Lives thing, too? Mm. I don't know. I think Josh Holmes. Uh, I think them. they settled that somehow. Did they? But yeah, okay. John Garcia is like uh, he works at a veterinary now. Like his his wife's a veterinarian, so. Mm. Hmm. But he's like, I think he's still in like three different bands, or he does a bunch of stuff still. Yeah. When he can. Jay, I'm surprised you didn't mention the Upper Crusts album, Let Them Ooh. Eat Rock. Uh, I did. I, 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 mean, I intended to. I love cream that record. The, cream of the Crusts. Just can't get enough. I love <laughs> that. That might be like one of the most dead-on like ACDC knockoff bands I've ever heard. Like oh. They do it exactly right, and the They're songs amazing. are hilarious. Uh, do they still do stuff? Yeah, definitely. So. Oh. Any last mentions for albums, uh, guys, before we wrap this up? We're hitting the hour mark, and I want to get everybody it's home too, at a reasonable it's too time. Too many. Too many. I do yeah. want to mention Swerve Drivers, uh, Ejector Seat Reservation is a good oh. one. I want to mention Shiner Splay. I want to mention, uh, I think you, somebody mentioned PJ Harvey already, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, great. And, of course, uh, Morphine's Yes. Supergrass, I Shit Coco. Yeah, that's a good one, too. That's a good Men's one. Menswear. Mm-hmm. This is like the this is like the round or the the, the what do you call this? Out, this we just throw yes. out names. This All the ones out. that I have, yeah on the list here we haven't got to. Eleven's thunk. You can check out our uh, interview with Elaine Johannes from the first year. Very cool. Double double episode. I've been meaning to go back and listen to a couple uh, Sparkle Horse. Mm, that's a great record. Sparkle. That's a great record. Um, I like that a lot of the time. I want to see how it holds up. And one I didn't listen to that I want to is Elastica. Oh, that album's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's one I didn't really love at the time, I don't think. But um, I just I got it for a buck out of a used bin recently, and it's great. It's yeah. a great record. Cool. There's a lot about, of songs. So I, I talked about uh, Quicksand earlier. Mm-hmm. So what about um, Civ, Set Your Goals? Can't wait one minute more. So... I, I found that I found this out way, I love way that late. Video. Yeah, but do you guys know that like Walter from Quicksand, from from what I've heard, basically wrote all those songs, or, no. or he he helped write them all. He and uh, the singer were in Gorilla Biscuits together, mm-hmm. but Walter like helped helped write that whole album. So if you, not that you're going to go back and listen to it, but if you were to go back and listen to it, I think you can hear Quicksand in it, even though it's like way more pop punk than Quicksand ever was, but. I wanted to listen to it just to remember what they sounded like, but I can't find the record. Like it's not on Spotify, and I was digging I, around and wasn't uh, readily I got available. It. I got it. I'll get you a copy. Okay. Like I said, I, I still have all. There we go. What, what? So there we go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a coming together and exchanging of music here. That's what we're all about. Yes. Let's not forget <laughs> okay. Ozzy Osbourne's Osmosis. That's another important record from this year, folks. Oh. Jay, I'll put it on side A of the cassette. What do you want on side B? <laughs> I'm going to go listen to Fig Dish after this. That's all yes. I Excellent bow on this episode. Thank you, Aaron, for bringing <laughs> us back to the top. We are at the hour mark, so I'm going to say thank you to Chip and Aaron for joining us on our first roundtable. I think this was a smashing success, and we shall return next month with our second roundtable to be determined in terms of our. Uh, topic. I think we're going to do the Britpop month next month, so 
We'll have to see. Aaron, uh, keep keep us updated on the uh, record that you are currently oh, in the process of recording. We're happy to break any additional news. If there's a Dear Leader album coming out mm. also, feel free to just, you know, send that info over. We're happy. You got to, it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And then Chip, as always, it's great to have you. Everybody should go to, what's the website, Chip? Kidsinterviewbands.com? Yeah, and Aaron, you need to tour and come to Columbus so my kid can interview you. I would love that. that would awesome. awesome. I, I, love, I love that video series. Thank yes, you. we're making it happen here, Connections. <laughs> and as always, uh, for myself and Jay, thanks everybody for listening. Please head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com to request a review. And if you feel like giving us some positive feedback over on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another request to review. As mentioned, Caius Lose from the Red Sun. That's next week. And we're out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. It's-